I was reading the other night, and I came across an article that uh, said, it's headline, awe, a sense of awe, viewing things that bring a sense of awe is powerful for human beings. Anybody not know that? (laughs) But it was amazing how it grabbed me when I read that. It's actually, you know, we experience a lot of different things that are pretty powerful as emotions or feelings, things like that. Uh, Love, you know, uh, would be a great example of that, something that's very hard to explain. But awe is something that really hasn't been studied that much uh, as something that has a great impact on the human being. And it turns out, you know, Maslow pointed at awe as something that was uh, powerful and could be transformative in the lives of human beings. But to be actually studied is something that's much more recent, like in the 2000s, much more on the radar. And so there's some really interesting articles. I wanted to read you uh, one of the findings, and I, I think we all probably knew this, but it was putting a label on it that makes that makes this make more sense. It says, uh, this is a study, I think the study was in 2003. Uh, all consists of two qualities. Perceived vastness, so something we think to be greater than ourselves, and accommodation. A need to assimilate the experience of vastness into one's current mental structure. Right? When you get blown away by seeing something, you're like, what does this mean to me? You know? And we all knew that, but it being, having it put down by scientists from Caltech helps us kind of get a grip, a grip on that. That idea of conceiving of something greater is entirely within the realm of human beings. I think it's fascinating that something greater than us can be perceived of. The Bible tells us that we are sojourners in this world. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a Christian, then you become a citizen of another country. You become a citizen of a subject of the one God of the universe. And in that, doing that, we become sojourners or travelers or strangers in the world that we actually walk in. doesn't mean we're disconnected from it or doesn't matter or anything like that. It just means that our allegiance has been changed from ourselves to something else. We are now in a different economy, a different world order. We're sojourners. We're citizens of his country. And so, part of what we understand as sojourners in this country is that we find the truth that we believe from the scripture. The Bible is our first orientation towards what is true. Okay? And we see this in the passage from Hebrews, or our series on Hebrews 11 and 12 right now. Hebrews 11 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's a pretty big statement. Let me read it one more time. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. 
so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So here's the main point. If there's nothing else that you get, I would like to ask you to wrestle with this. And this is straight from the Bible, it's not from me. I'm pointing you to the Word of God, which is, as citizens of God's country, this is the place that we go to look for truth, the Word of God. And Paul makes it really simple. He sort of summarizes what he said in Hebrews chapter 11 right there. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, We walk by faith, not by sight. That doesn't mean that sight is not important. What it means is that faith comes first. Faith comes before sight. So when we tie that to Hebrews 11, verse 3, we have a foundational paradigm if we're followers of Jesus. And that is this. There is one God who is the creator, and he created by his word. Now, uh, let me just be sure that I say that I realize that uh, for some of us, for me to, to... talk about this topic is, is maybe going to be uncomfortable. And I, I want to come humbly before you and say, hey, I don't pretend to have the answers. What I want to do is say that if you're a follower of Jesus, faith comes before sight. Okay? So, I, I am going to say some things that you might not like, uh, but since we're all big people in here, uh, we can interact around things that we disagree over, Right? Right? Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) But it would be challenging if you're a believer for you to disagree with me on this point. Okay? So if you do anything to that, I just encourage you to wrestle with this idea that faith comes before sight. Okay? Now, when we're talking about origins and things like that, well, there's a whole spectrum of belief around those things. For instance, like in the Christian sort of uh, history of things, like over here, way over here, you might have a very young earth perspective. Like earth is very young, thousands of years old, and God created everything in literal 24-hour periods, right? That's about as far on the conservative side as you can go. And then if we go way over on this side of the stage, that very corner is really the repudiation of anything like that, which you which you have uh, Darwinian natural selection, right? Which excludes the idea of a God, and everything comes from chance, right? So that's on that end. Nature organized itself rather than nature being organized. And somewhere in between these things probably is where Everyone in this room falls. If you're outside that, I'd be interested to hear what you're <laughs> A lot of times as Christians are like, well, did evolution help God or did God help evolution? Did he need that? Does it need him? What, you know, how does that work? So that's kind of the muddy part all in between, right? Uh, or there's these two extremes. Well, let me say this. This is important. What you believe about that stuff in between here and here does not change the fact that we need a savior and that we're broken. Okay? So we just have to we have to be there first foundationally, right? And so what I'm saying is before you have any of this, wherever you land on any of this, what the scripture says is that God 
was the creator of all things by his word. Faith comes before sight. So just for a few minutes, we're going to swim in the deep end, but we're going to try to do it with floaties. Okay? But uh, don't get angry with me if I say something that frustrates you on either side of this all of the debate. We're all focusing back to the main point. Faith comes before sight. So from our passage in Hebrews 11.3, we understand this. It says, by faith... Well, let me tell you my three points. I don't want to forget that. Faith, the word, and sight. Faith, the word, and sight. So we're going to talk about faith first. And we're going to look at 11.3 today. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. So the first four words are what we're going to focus in on for just a moment. By faith, we understand. So I want to break that down. And the first word I want to hit, real briefly, is that there is a word in there that's critical to this, to our narrative we've been looking at through all of this part of Hebrews, our study on Hebrews, and that's we. We, believers, are important in the story. We're important in the story. We've been looking at these narratives of these, what we might call heroes, or the author calls, uh, Hebrews calls them a cloud of witnesses. And because of their great faith, we're to be encouraged in our faith, Right? So in those stories, as he, uh, as he lists them in chapter 11, it's starting like in verse 5. He says, by faith, uh, Abel. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. It, it you know, just has all of these names listed. And by faith starts each one of the headings. So we, that's where we've got a lot of the folks that we looked at in the story, in each of these stories. But what's interesting is in verse 3, he actually kicks it off by saying, did you notice that? By, by faith we. Right. It's all, if you look at it in your Bible, I guarantee this won't be in the next section, in the next paragraph. This is an introductory paragraph. By faith we. What was our act of faith? So by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. We are important in the story. And so I want to just set that up. We are the, we are the character who is being referenced in the story today. You and me, if you're a follower of Jesus. Second, the second word I want to look at is faith. It says, by faith. The nature of faith is the assurance of hope. You remember that? That also comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We just read the video. The assurance of hope. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I'm going to just make a guess with you guys. The things we hope for are good. Right? I mean, in the end. What we want, what we hope for, in the end, is good. Without a God, I'll just make this premise right here. Without a good God that our faith rests in, we cannot be assured that there are good outcomes. If God is 99% good, but God is infinite, 
1% is quite a bit of not good. Right? Just think about it sometime. Without a good creator that we are looking through the windshield of faith at, focused upon, you know what we have? And by the way, this isn't a reason to believe. This is just what is. Without a good God, a 100% good, eternal God, we are left in a morass. There is no meaning in the end because there can be no final good. We cannot be confident that there is a final good. Pain and suffering and joy are all equally likely, equally meaningful, just part of the process of survival. No such thing as right and wrong. You really hope it doesn't make any sense either. Because we might land in the 1%. Our faith, we, our faith in a good God is critical. And third, the third word I want to look at is that we understand. We understand by faith. He created by his word. What we see is built on what he has done by his word. Okay? So let me say it this way. Okay, follow with me here. The unseen constitutes what is seen, which in turn describes what is seen, what is unseen. The unseen constitutes what is seen, which in turn describes what is unseen. Faith become, comes before sight. Sight leads us back to what is unseen. <clears throat> Look at Psalm 19, 1 and 2 again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. <clears throat> How cool is that? The Word of God created the thing that, that gives speech that we understand as humans, trying to figure that out, leading us back to the unseen. Well, after... Uh, here's, a, here's a way I decided I wanted to say it to you. By faith, we have this up. By faith, what is seen is a beautiful proxy for what is unseen. I think that sounds cool. The way that, that statement. By faith, what is seen is a beautiful proxy for what is unseen. So we understand by faith. That's those first few words. That's that faith part that I wanted to talk about. Now, the second point is this. The Word. The Word of God. Let me read this to you. I just want to continue to go back to this Hebrews 11.3. And the first part. By faith we understand, and we've covered that, that the universe is created by the Word of God. Now, the Bible repeats and confirms this repeatedly from the beginning to the end. I like this in Psalm 33.6. By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. 
This is the kind of statement that's repeated over and over throughout the scripture. It is a paradigm for understanding everything. This is what the Bible says. What we can apprehend and what we cannot apprehend in nature was created from something. And that something is God's Word. When I was a kid, I've told you this before, uh, I used to put myself to sleep reading the encyclopedia. Um, And if you're... If you're younger, that's like a Wikipedia all written out. <laughs> um, except for not as much as Wikipedia. And so my dad, you know, bought the encyclopedias from the guy coming door to door, and it's a whole huge shelf in one of our rooms. And so I go and just get it and go from the beginning. And, uh, and then my grandfather had collected all of National Geographic since sometime in the 1930s. We had them all. So I would, I, I was. In, I loved that stuff. And as a, as, so as a young man, as a, a boy, I, uh, I had this uh, overcharged exposure to science and information, and the beauty of creation, and how it all fit together, and National Geographic and all that. So I loved that. I gained an appreciation for that. And when I became a Christian, I found in the, uh, in the 70s that the culture was trying to drive a wedge between Christianity and what Christianity taught and science. Like, they couldn't go together. There's just no way, right? And some of you have experienced that. Some are inher- have inherited what that means in, in 2019. So for many years, I set aside my concerns about that because I didn't know what to do about it. I was too young. So when I went to graduate school is when it started to... Uh, I just couldn't take it any longer. I had to dig in and had to read and study and find out for myself. How is this going to work? Are there answers? Are they compatible? Is, well, how do, you know, if I believe God created, what happens? Uh, so, I want to share with you just a couple of brief thoughts. Um, so, we understand that if, if you've read or seen anything you know, about the Bible in the past, that Genesis 1 2 are pretty clear about God's work of creation, right? I mean, we get that. That's where the biblical idea of creation starts. It's just part one, one point one. Well, what we have to do as believers is we have got to understand what the author of Genesis was trying to say to us, right? The way we understand that is that we understand what he was saying to the people he was writing to. Because he wasn't writing to people in 2019. He was writing to people in his era. Okay? Uh, There is a strong effort to make, and we do this, uh, if you're a Christian, you've probably done this, how can I make this work? How can I make what I see in Genesis work exactly in parallel with what I'm hearing in my science class, or what I'm reading or seeing, or any of that, right? Well, I've actually got a little bibliography in your, Bulletin that you'll find there if you want to look this up. But, uh, one of the books that really helped me with this is called In the Beginning We Misunderstood. <laughs> and uh, it's written by two, don't worry, it's written by two very conservative biblical scholars who spent time, like I do, every week trying to understand what the author was trying to say to the original people and what we can learn from it. Right? 
when that was written, when Genesis 1 and 2 were written, they were not written to validate modern science. They were written to explain how the God of the universe was different in what he did in his creation to set his people apart from the gods of, their, of the Mesopotamian area. So, I would encourage you, without going into a whole lot of depth, to take a look at that. We cannot take what we have read in Genesis 1 and 2, take all those words and melt them down and pour them into the mold of 2019 and think that they're going to come out and explain everything to us perfectly. However, there is no doubt that what it is saying is that God created by his word. Okay? That is clear. God created by his word. And if you feel like you're swimming upstream into a rushing torrent to reconcile your belief in God with what you're hearing everywhere else, uh, I want to give you just a little bit of a thought around uh, how we deal with that in a, in a literal way, not just looking at Genesis 1 and 2, but thinking with some of the great thinkers of our day. And uh, here is the thing that has been uh, really powerful in my understanding. I'm certainly not alone. I didn't make this up. I got it from people with uh, a lot more PhDs than I'll ever dream of having. Uh, but the word is this, and the word is complexity. Uh, what we see, the complexity of what we see, and the more we learn about complexity, tells us about a creator. Brought uh, my Scrabble game. Claire refuses to play Scrabble with me. Um, probably because I read the encyclopedia. <laughs> um, she lets me win, actually. But, uh, there you go. Also, my family likes this game. Anagrams. Okay. Now, honestly, I know this. To those of you who are wrestling with this, this sounds. This may seem kind of, kind of uh, belligerent, and I don't mean it to be that way. But I think it's a simple example of trying to understand from a very real world perspective what complexity is like, because we all know. That biology is information. DNA is information, right? It's order. Now, uh, what's cool is that I might be able to see a word or two here, right? The fortunate thing is that uh, all of these are in English. And all of them actually sort of fit together, right? More or less, right? But, you know, I let some of them fall on the floor because uh, that doesn't even emphasize the nature of the three-dimensional problem we have with information coming together, right? Not only does it have to be English, not only do the letters have to match, but if, if these were circles, they might not come together. And if they were faced like this, they might not come together too well, right? 
None of you would think that this would automatically come into information that is readable. Right? I have a hard time with this guy right here putting a word together. And if one letter is missing, what happens? Sorry. Okay? So, the simplest organisms need volumes of scientific, technical information completely perfectly ordered in order for anything to happen at all. Now I want to propose to you that that is unlikely. Okay? That's unlikely. And you may think, well, you know, Scott, that's just too simplistic. Okay. Okay. I know uh, we just built a building. By the way, we're about a month from being in there. Uh, we spent a lot of money on an architect. We spent a lot of money on an engineer. And when things went wrong over there, underground, things we couldn't see, couldn't even know were going to happen, we had to call the engineer. The engineer had to go and do thousands of dollars worth of work with calculations that were very specific so that the thing would stand up. Right? If you're an engineer, I'm, I'm going to be this my insulting part. If you're an engineer or programmer of any kind, you may be insulted by the idea of natural selection because you're not necessary. Think about it for a second. The people who designed the Center for the Arts or the Adaptive Sport Building up on the mountain or our building over here would not have said, hey, you know what, here's a blank sheet. You guys go get it done. Do it. Hope it works out. And I tell you what, if it doesn't work out, let's give it a thousand years. Okay, I'm not trying to make fun of any ideas. I promise you I'm not. I just want us to think about it for a moment. Now, I'm not making this up from my own point of view. The, the guy that I have appreciated for quite a long time is a, is a multi-PhD guy named William Dembski. You can look him up. Uh, I put a couple of articles or of books in, in the bibliography that I gave you. But uh, he, says, he says, in a scientific way, what I was trying to say here. One, Darwin naturalism argues that nature is able to create all of its own information and is therefore complete. So here's his question. Does nature really possess the power to select and thereby create information? We have to answer that question. If we say, yes, Darwinian natural selection, we are saying that nature has the power to select and create information. We have to affirmly, we have to affirm that to be there. And Dembski says, from a mathematical point of view, doubtful. Well, actually, I, I found this, he says, not even close. So, we have our faith. We have God's word that is able to create and did create. And then we have sight. And what I mean by that, and this is our third point, I wrap up with this part. What I mean by that is that we need to see what is true. We need to see what is true. Or, in other words, the way of saying that is we need a theology of sight. A theology 
of the unseen. So in Hebrews 13, I mean, Hebrews 11, 1 and 3, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. The universe is created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is a theology of things not seen. First thing, the unseen is eternal. What is unseen is eternal. It's a foundational building block of understanding what he is saying when we talk about this thing that has created all other things. And we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to be afraid, and I've already mentioned this, because what is unseen, our good God, is good. He is eternal. And look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Just like we prayed this morning. For the things that are unseen are transient. But the things that the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Second Corinthians four seventeen. And the second aspect of the theology of the unseen is that we have a front row seat to his character in what he has created. Right? We see the unseen by what he has created, just that like that by faith, what is created is a beautiful proxy for what is unseen. And you may remember this from Romans chapter 1, verse 20. His invisible attributes, his character, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. I'm not making this stuff up. So we have a starting point. That's a theology of the unseen. We have a good God. And that good God is revealed in what he has made. His character is revealed for us. So, faith, word, and sight. And let me, let me wrap up uh, by saying this. And let me ask you guys, we're going to sing one last song. So, if those of you who are leading uh, music today would mind coming up, and we'll finish... Uh, one last thing for those of you who are followers of Jesus. That word that God spoke from which everything came to be into being. In John 1, he reveals this that Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men.